The following presentation is brought to you by KMmedia.pro. Please visit KMmedia.pro for more information. Now stay right where you are as we present. Welcome to Positive Talk Radio, evolving ideas, one conversation at a time. Great guests, dynamic stories and interviews, plus new thoughts on a wide range of topics and concepts. I hope that you'll hang with me, Kevin McDonald, my friends, and of course, you, as together we work to understand why we are all here and what we can do to make our world a better place for all of us to be happy, be kind, and live in peace together. Yep, that's Positive Talk Radio. And welcome, everybody, to a third episode today of Positive Talk Radio. Um, Julia Sullivan is our is our guest today. And I, I got to tell you, Julia, you are part of the first day of, of what we're going to be doing here from now on, which is three, two to, eh, I'm not quite sure yet, but two to four hours a day live Monday through Friday. Wow, that's a lot. It, well, it, it is, but you see, it affords me the opportunity to talk with people like you, who is a, as an author and you, the subject matter of the book we're going to talk about, which is coming out, I believe it's coming out in June, isn't it? Correct. June 3rd. And I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you. I w I'm thrilled to have you here because uh, it, it's, it's pretty cool. Let's, let's talk first of all about you. That's, that's not your first book, right? Um, this is my first novel. Um, I'm a lawyer and a English solicitor, and um, this novel has been sort of a passion project of mine for over 20 years. I've been working on it on and off, and I finally finished it. So, well, where are you? Where physically are you? Um, I live in Annapolis, Maryland, and Hamilton, Montana. My husband was born and raised in Montana, so oh, we spend a lot of time out there, which is that's how the I, connection. Yeah became that's how i became familiar with this story exactly because i was going to ask you because if you were from maryland that's i i asked somebody earlier today i said are you familiar with uh chief joseph and he lives here he was a producer of the show that i did this morning and he goes no are you familiar with inez pierce um no and he's lived here for a long time. So yeah. it is it is an educational story that I think needs to get out there. And I'm really glad you wrote the book. What's the title of the book again? The title of the book is Bone Necklace. And why did you choose that title? Well, it's the um, it's the name of a character in my book. And it's also uh, there is an actual bone necklace in the book, which is um uh, a necklace that was created from a bone that was pulled from a carrion pile. It was an effort to take something ugly and turn it into something beautiful, which is one of the themes of the book. So, Oh, very nice. Very nice. So when we talk about the story of Chief Joseph, I learned about that um, in, in uh, I think I was like in eighth grade. I, I, I went to a small school and we would... Uh, uh, each have, like we would have a split a split grade, like we had seventh and eighth grade kids. Mm -hmm. So when they were teaching the seventh grade kids, I would go over and get an encyclopedia. By the way, an encyclopedia is a book that they used to make <laughs> 
where they had a lots of facts and figures and and stories of historical figures in and the Britannica made a, a great addition and and stuff and there used to be people who would go around selling these books a door to door so that you could learn something in your house now you just go to something called Google um, to do the same thing so if you want to Google uh, uh, um, Chief Joseph. And the Nez Pierce Indians, that would be, that would be, you could, you could really catch up. But I learned that when, so I was in eighth grade in like 1960 something. And, um, and I learned of the story of Chief Joseph and, um, and the Nez Pierce and what they went through and, and all of, uh, and that, that whole thing that happened in 1877. So I'm glad. So when you found out about this, what drove you, what motivated you to, to really research it and then to write the book? Well, I, I had never heard of the Nez Perce or Chief Joseph until I was in my thirties. It wasn't something that I ever learned in school. Um, but when my husband and I were in Montana visiting family one fall, I went to visit the Big Hole Battlefield in Wisdom, Montana, which is about a two-hour drive from um, the little town where my husband grew up. And I went there by myself. Um, and I remember it was September, October. It was snowing. And I um, borrowed some snowshoes. And you can walk down to the battlefield. It's on the Big Hole River. Um, and you sort of walk down from the parking lot, down a steep hill. There's about a three quarter mile loop around the battlefield. And um, you know how snow just hushes everything. So it was one of those days I was all by myself and all you could hear was the river and the wind. And it's just this really stunningly beautiful place where something really horrific happened. And um, I just felt something in that place. Um, I just felt a real connection to that place. I can't really describe it, but it just owned me. The story has owned me ever since. Um, I was practicing law full time back then. And when I got back to DC, um, some, some place, maybe in the visitor center, I learned that Chief Joseph had published an article. Kind of reminds you, this wasn't all that long ago, but he published an article in the North American Review two years after the war, sort of telling his side of it. And um, I went to the Library of Congress. This was, now it's available on Google, but back then that wasn't true. <laughs> I had to go to the Library of Congress to find it. And um, uh, and it just sort of built from there. I read this article and then I started reading the handwritten notes taken during various treaty councils between the government and the Nez Perce over the years. And every general who was involved in the war eventually wrote a book about it. Um, so there are lots of firsthand accounts. And there was also this story is a little unusual in several respects, but um, there are a number of firsthand accounts from the Nez Perce side, which is a little unusual. History is usually written by um, the white man in this context, but there was a historian named Lou Collis McWhorter, and he had a very good friend named um, Chief Yellow Wolf, who 
was a fighter in the war. He escaped to Canada, eventually went back to live on a reservation with his uncle, Chief Joseph, voluntarily. But um, Mr. McWhorter interviewed uh, Yellow Wolf at length and wrote a book called um, Yellow Wolf's Story. And um, so you really were, it, between Joseph's article, the Treaty Council notes and Yellow Wolf's book, um, you really were able to kind of get both sides, which was really unusual. Anyway, I just sort of fell deeper and deeper into the story and writing has always been my way of kind of organizing my thoughts. Um, and I didn't originally start writing with the idea of writing a novel, but it became that over the, over the years. So, so the novel is uh, the story of the, the, Chief Joseph and the Nez Pierce and what was going on with them is kind of the backdrop of, of the, the story that, of, of the main character. Is that right? Yeah, I wound up covering um, just four months in the book. It opens in May 1877 and it closes in October 1877. I guess it's five months. Um, and uh, I invented three characters which I put into the war. Um, they're based on real characters, uh, but they're kind of composites of actual people who participated in the events. Um, so Joseph features in the book, Looking Glass, other famous figures feature in the book, but the narrators are these three invented characters and we, we see history unfolding through their eyes. And without, well, I, I, I would like to talk a little bit about what was happening around that time and and also the story itself, because is, it, is that appropriate or do we sure. want to keep because they can Google what actually happened. Sure. Um, you know, yeah. but I, I'll never forget the, 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 and I remember it to this day. I, as a matter of fact, I remember looking at the picture in the reader's digest because somebody did a painting of, uh, after the fact of chief Joseph, uh, standing there and, uh, his famous line, which was, and, and let me see if I, let me see if I can massacre it correctly. <laughs> From where the sun now stands, I will fight no more forever. Yes. That, you know, the, the, now that I understand, now that I know that there's a battlefield, what I need to do is to take a, a road trip to that battlefield on the way to the Little Bighorn. Are there, I mean, are there are there uh, monuments at, at that battlefield and, and to explain what happened that day? Yeah, so the um, the Nez Perce War is um, it was it's been called America's Last Indian War by many historians, and it's the story of a small band of Native Americans who hold off four converging armies while their families escape to Canada, and it's a running retreat um, covers uh, almost twelve hundred miles, and that whole trail has now been designated a national park um, administered by yeah administered by the national park service and um so there are markers all along the route and um there are some uh beautiful visitor centers um in a couple of places uh, including the big hole there's a uh 
wonderful display there. And um, at the battlefield where Joseph spoke that famous line that you just recited from where the sun now stands, I shall fight no more forever. That was the final battle. Um, it was a battle of the bear paws. It was in the foothills of the bear paw mountains, about 30 miles south of the Canadian border. Um, and what happened there is that the army finally caught up with the Nez Perce after this um, four or five month retreat and captured the tribe's horse herd, uh, which made it impossible to move children, elders, injured people, sick people. Um, so those who were able-bodied could make it, could sneak through the siege line and cover the last 30 miles on foot. But there were many people who just, it was snowing, it was freezing cold. There were many people who just couldn't make that final dash on foot. And so they uh, divided into two groups. Um, Chief Joseph stayed behind with those who could no longer travel. And he sent his wife and his daughter with nearly 300 others uh, with Chief Whitebird, who led them to Canada. You know, and that's, that's the part of the story that's not really well known or told is that you, we get the part that the final battle is 30 miles away from, from the Canadian border because what they were trying to do was to hook up with another famous Indian chief whose name was Sitting Bull who had escaped to Canada mm -hmm. while being chased after, uh, um, after the Little Bighorn. And if you don't, if you're not familiar with the Little Bighorn, that is where George Custer met his end at the Battle of the Little Bighorn, and uh, um, and stuff. So, so it was just thirty miles away, and it was and it was perceived at that time as kind of a heartbreaking story. Oh, they didn't make it. Was it? That's isn't right. that kind of how it was? That's right. It's um, well, Chief Joseph became quite famous. Um, he became known as the Red Napoleon, yes. a name which stuck, which surprised nobody so much as Joseph himself. He had never been known as a war chief among his people. He had always been a diplomat. He was an elegant, eloquent man who would have done anything to avoid the war that made him famous. But uh, he became known as a great warrior. And, um, and of course, his... Uh, his heartbreaking speech at the end, I shall fight no more forever, was exactly what the white audience wanted to hear. And so that's the piece of the story that really became famous. Very few people have ever heard of Chief Whitebird, um, who never I, gave up. I had not heard of him. Yeah. So I, and he, I consider myself, I, I thought I knew the story. So Yeah, yeah. Uh, Whitebird... Um, did join up with Sitting Bull in Canada. Um, I did not know until I started researching this story that Canada was giving political asylum to American Indians at the time. Yep. Um, had given political asylum to Chief Sitting Bull and um, many Sioux. And uh, so White Bird and uh, almost 300 Nez Perce who escaped the final battle uh, spent that first winter of 1877-1878 with uh, Chief Sitting Bull, who took care of them. They showed up um, in, uh, it was winter, they had nothing, they had no horses, they had no food, 
They had no supplies. They had no lodges. Uh, they were freezing. They were starving. They were exhausted. Um, and Sitting Bull took care of them. Um, and then the following spring, some of them stayed with Sitting Bull, but mostly they sort of scattered after that. Um, some remained in Canada. Some came back to the U.S. voluntarily. Yeah, no, go ahead. No, I was just, um, that was actually the thing that I really liked about this story was that it challenged our assumption that um, that the Native Americans uh, were outnumbered, were outgunned, were um, doomed to, to submission. Um, Whitebird never accepted that. Um, he never gave up. He never surrendered. And the interesting thing about, did you know, and well, you've written the book, so I'm sure you do, that that, that running sequence, that four-month running battle, basically, because the, they, the Nez Pierce were trying to make it to Canada and the Army was determined to stop them for mostly political reasons, I would imagine, because it would look bad in the papers if they if they escaped and stuff. And so, uh, but but the, that, that, the technician or the tactician that uh, Chief Joseph and the other chiefs of of his group were that that battle was studied militarily for years because of of the techniques that they used during that 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 running battle that, that protected them. And remember, if if you don't know about this, he was they they were taking women, children, old men, the entire village and the entire population of their of the Nez Pierce trying to get to Canada because they didn't want to get in go onto the reservation and they were being chased by the United States cavalry. So and they still made it what was it 1200 miles? Yeah, yeah. It depends on different, you know, it seems like it would be a clear number but they're different accounts give different numbers depending on whether whether you start in Oregon or Idaho but so you just is the most conservative number yeah so but there is an actual um a trail that you can follow that follows their their path yes if you google Nez Perce National Historic Trail um it's all mapped out where they went and there are um yeah we traveled the whole trail of course parts of it i've been too many times in researching this book but um yeah you're you're quite right that um the battles from the nez Perce war were taught at the u.s army war college uh for many years that um uh the nez Perce were um remarkable fighters um but uh you know they were outgunned they were outnumbered they were they were really they just outfought their opponent but they also displayed remarkable humanity not in every instance i'm not saying that there weren't um abominable acts on both sides to be sure there were um but the nez Perce, um showed uh compassion to wounded soldiers who fell into their hands for example, at the Battle of Bear Paw, the government tried to run um, to enter the Nez Perce camp three times. They were rebuffed three times. 
Um, and in those various attempts, they left behind a number of wounded soldiers. The Nez Perce went out at night, took their weapons, brought them blankets and water um, until their own people could come take them uh, back into their own camp. They did not kill wounded soldiers. Once they were unable to fight, they were not considered soldiers anymore. Um, the the um, Indians who fell into uh, the government's hands were not treated the same way. They also um, had uh, some civilian captives. They ran into civilians in Yellowstone Park. They took um, prisoners of these civilians, um, uh, but they, uh, for the most part, if the civilians didn't try to fight, um, they were released eventually um, with a horse and food um, so that they could get back to their own people. So anyway, there, there are many, many examples of this, but um, over the course of the war, uh, the conduct of the Nez Perce really changed the narrative um, and public opinion swung from being um, uh, close to uh, advocating genocide to actually being quite sympathetic with the Nez Perce. So just to give you an example, when the Nez Perce were captured at the Bear Paw Battlefield, um, they rode on horses to Bismarck and then they were put on trains down to Leavenworth, Kansas. Um, but when they got into Bismarck, um, the ladies auxiliary held a luncheon in their honor. Uh, just to give you an example, um, they had soldiers who were standing between the um, 400 plus prisoners and the townspeople and the townspeople broke through the barrier in order to um, deliver gifts to the prisoners. Um, so, uh, I mean, if you can imagine at that time and that place for a Native American um, band during a war to have impressed upon the American public, uh, not only their fighting skill, but their humanity and, um, and the justice of their underlying cause was, was really remarkable, really remarkable. Well, it, it, it became such a big story that the newspapers in the East, I'm told, uh, or that I read, were following it like, uh, like a, a good sporting match. Yeah, uh, uh, they they had updates all the time as to well this happened and then they had this battle and then they're here and then and so people started it was like a serial, you know, yeah. a, a, a series that people were starting to follow and then they pick sides and were rooting for whichever side they went and, and a lot of them picked the Indians because they they had women and children and they mm -hmm. were they were just trying to to not have to go to a reservation and to live free which they'd always lived and they were just trying to get to canada and yeah. uh and so it was it became a, a really big story which i'm glad it did because that's why you and i are sitting here talking about it yeah if um now when i started writing this book um i spent i spent months going through microfish collecting newspaper articles now you can go on newspapers.com <laughs> and put <laughs> put in Nez Perce and do it. It took me months to do and you know, an afternoon, but um, yeah, the newspaper coverage was, was really remarkable. And as I said, it was extremely hostile. Um, and, 
and overtly racist at the beginning of the war. And then um, as they uh, continued to outfight and outrun the U.S. Army and frankly, to humiliate the army in battle, um, they really won the respect of the American people. And, um, and then, you know, when stories trickled out about them not harming captured soldiers and in fact, one captured soldier, they, they put him in a rifle pit so that he wouldn't be harmed by American bullets. Um, you know, they, uh, they, they just, they engaged in conduct that was so incongruous with the stereotype that it really forced people to rethink their assumptions about Native American culture. Well, and you, and you, and you got to remember the context at the time was it was less than a year after the Battle of the Little Bighorn, which That's happened right. in 76, June 15, 25th and 26th. And so it was less than a year from that. And, and that became, that became a big, a big deal as far as, you know, Custer was killed and 210 or whatever the number was of his, of his people and, and stuff. So, so there was the backdrop of Indians are bad. Indians kill soldiers. And, and, and that, that narrative changed over time. And, and I know you capture it in the book. It's, it really is. Uh, a, a, it's a great story. It's a, it's a great human interest story. Yeah. And it, um, you know, I think there's so much of it um, that's still relevant. Um, I agree. It's, yeah. It's, as you mentioned, it's a David and Goliath fight um, where the under, the, 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 the expected outcome isn't realized. Um, where the outgunned, outnumbered side prevails. It was a classic land grab, not that different from what we see in Ukraine right now, where the aggressor made up lies about the existing documents to justify warfare, um, created a humanitarian crisis. You had refugees in Canada stumbling across the border in the winter with nothing but the clothes on their back. Um, you know, it's kind of a universal story, um, but it's also, it's the very American story. It's our story. It, it really is. It really is. Let's talk a little bit about uh, Julia. I know you're a lawyer and, uh, and, and this is your first novel, but have you written uh, articles and have you written any books before? I'm, I was looking. I can't. I can't find. Oh, I have many publications with titles like you know the intersection of FERC regulation. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Say that again. And transmission planning and you know things like that. I I have many technical articles. This was um, this was my first attempt at fiction. And actually, when I started, right, I told you that I use writing as a way to kind of organize my thoughts. I've always been like that. You know, I keep journals and, um, and I just really started taking notes um, to organize my thoughts. And I, I published a law review article of, about the treaties between the government and the Nez Perce and the violation of those treaties back in like, like 2004, something like that. 
but I was really dissatisfied with that format. I just felt like it didn't tell the story the way I wanted to tell the story. It didn't capture the the heroism. It didn't capture the emotion. It didn't um, it didn't force us to rethink our assumptions about Nez Perce culture um, and Native American culture. So I got this idea to write a novel and um, I took a one year leave of absence and I figured I could, I could bang out a novel in a year. Right. <laughs> wow. Well, one year. Yeah. It didn't happen. <laughs> it didn't happen. So um, after a year, I convinced myself that I couldn't do it in a year. I probably couldn't do it in two or three. I was really flailing, but. Um, I've always been fairly goal oriented and it really always remained a goal of mine to finish. And I took writing classes and I hired instructors and editors and I just kept rewriting it and rewriting it. And um, anyway, it took me a long time, but I really wanted to finish it and I finally did. And I'm, I'm thrilled. So I, I hope people enjoy the book. So how long did it take you? So um, from when I started until when I finished was 22 years. Holy mackerel. That is, well, you, you could have taken a leave of absence for 22 years. That would have been fun. Yeah, I couldn't do that. I couldn't <laughs> do that. But um, I I'm not saying it was 22 years solid. Like I said, I worked on it pretty hard for a year. And I did most of the research within that year. And, um, but I really got stuck on the writing. I have to concede that. Um, and I would put it away and then I pull it back out. And when I pull it back out, I start with a blank piece of paper. I mean, I completely start over. Um, and I started over again in 2016. And uh, that time I finally finished it. Well, I, you know, and, and it's, it's now coming out. It'll be out in June. Um, and, uh, have you gotten, has, has it gotten any reviews that you can speak of, speak about? Yeah, it's actually gotten some really nice, some really nice reviews, which I have quoted on my website, www.juliasullivanauthor.com. But yeah, I'm really, I'm really encouraged. It's gotten some really nice reviews from professional reviewers. And I have sent copies to a few readers who've also posted some really nice reviews on Goodreads. You can't post a review on Amazon because um, it hasn't been released yet. But, um, but there are some reviews on Goodreads, which have been really nice. Yeah. So. I hope that it does extremely well and uh, because it's a, it's a great story and it's a human interest story. It's also um, a, a great uh, uh, historical novel, basically. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I hope, I hope, um, I hope it makes people think about uh, the assumptions we make to justify war um, and sometimes question question those assumptions we're yeah, so you know. we're so willing to believe the worst of each of each other and um and and i i hope it'll just make people stop and think about that i was um over the weekend i was watching youtube and and the news and and stuff and it's it's like it, it, it after a while 
he was like, I, I really need to go take a shower because this is really, this is really not very, not very positive. It's all very negative and, and everybody's at each other's throats and, and the Congress is at each other's throats. And then you've got the war and so many people are being, and they have been killed and, and maimed and that kind of thing. It's, it's just, it's, it's a, it's a terrible thing. It, 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 we're going through some really tough times. So, and that's, that's why stories like this and, and talking to you is a, is a, is a real positive thing. And I'm glad that we have the opportunity to uh, do that with you. Well, that was, um, like I mentioned, one of the themes of the book was to take kind of an ugly episode and find some nuggets of wisdom and beauty. And um, I think uh, Joseph's self-sacrifice, um, Whitebird's uh, refusal to submit, um, the way the American public opinion started to turn, um, the uh, um, I think there there are some beautiful things in this story, um, and uh, in 2020, um, I felt like the story came full circle in 2020. There's a little town in uh, Oregon called Joseph, Oregon. It's where Chief Joseph was born and raised and his family lived there for like 10,000 years, a beautiful little lake called Wallawa Lake in the Wallawa Mountains. And uh, Joseph was never allowed to go there again after he was, after he surrendered at the Bear Paw Battlefield, he was never allowed to go to Joseph Oregon again. Um, but they kept his name. They still called it Joseph Oregon. The newspaper is still called the Chieftain. It's named after Joseph, but um it wasn't until 2020 the tribe managed to buy about 120 acres in Joseph, Oregon. And uh, they marched down Main Street on their colorful horses and uh, took possession of that little piece of property that used to belong to Chief Joseph. And, um, and I just felt like, um, it felt like closure. It was the it was the ending of the old story and it was the beginning of a new story um and uh you know i it um uh joseph's story was amazing because you know an unexpected leader rose um sort of like Zelensky and many other modern examples where you know a crisis causes an unexpected hero to emerge. Um, uh, but, um, but, but this, you know, it, it's really not just one man. It was an entire people and an entire culture that survived, um, that never gave up, that was scattered and that came back together on that little 120 acre parcel. And they gathered from Canada and from Idaho and from Washington state and from Kansas and from all the different places where they had dispersed because of government force. Um, and, you know, it was just, um, it was just kind of a period at the end of the sentence. It just, uh, I just thought it was a beautiful moment and it, and it happened to be the year that I finally finished this book. And maybe it's what helped me stop revising the book. I just felt like, okay. <laughs> 
You okay, got it right. It's done. It's done. Yeah. Yeah, got it right. And and uh, it took it took 130 years, but at least at least no, that that's just the wrong. 140. Shimmy Christmas. Yeah, 145 years or so. Yeah, yeah. You know, but but now, where is Chief Joseph buried? Do you know? He is buried in Washington at the Colville Reservation. So after the war, um, all of the Nez Perce were sent to a malarial swamp in Leavenworth, Kansas. Every child born there died. 100% child mortality rate. Um, all the Nez Perce were dying there. Um, Joseph, who had become quite famous during the war, uh, used that fame to lobby for better conditions. Um, he was invited to Washington, D.C. to meet three different presidents. Um, he eventually persuaded the government to return the Nez Perce to the Northwest. Um, and uh, those who agreed to become Christians were sent to a reservation in Idaho, where a number of other Nez Perce already lived. And those who would not agree to become Christians, who wanted to maintain their um, their own faith, uh, were sent to Washington. And um, Joseph went to Washington, and that's where he's buried, is in Washington. How long did he live after the uh, that, that summer of 77? Quite a while. I he died I be, in either nineteen four or nineteen five. I think he died in nineteen four. Uh, um, he met President Roosevelt in nineteen three. I think he died a year or two after that. That would be Theodore Roosevelt. Yes, exactly, exactly. And uh, yeah, that, that that's pretty cool. That's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, it wasn't that long ago. There was um, there was a Nez Perce, I can't remember his name, who was who was captured at the Bear Paw Battlefield. And um, he was still alive when um, when a man walked on the moon. Oh, wow. So it wasn't that long ago. Yeah. When you think about it. No, no, that would be because uh, he, he was close to a hundred, probably in '69. I would think. Well, he was he was you know a, a very young child, like one in 1877. Yeah. And, yeah. 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 Well, so. That's that's really is cool. So yeah. so I want to thank you for that. Do you have another novel in you, or are you not going to wait 22 years? Well, I I have another idea, and I'm really hoping I can be more efficient this time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I have another 22 productive years left in me, but yeah, I loved I loved the process. It's the most probably the most fun professional activity I've ever done. I just really I enjoyed the I enjoyed the history, but I also enjoyed learning something a, a whole new way of communicating. Um, oh yeah. So, uh, and I, I feel like, um, I feel like I could do it a little more efficiently the next time. So let's hope for that. What do, what kind of law do you practice? Um, I'm an arbitrator. I'm a commercial arbitrator. So. Uh, oh, um, so you, so you work with two sides that can't make that they they can't get along and can't decide what they're going to do. That would you know that would be a fascinating job. Yeah, yeah, it it is. It's um. Uh, usually there's a kernel of truth on both sides, right? And there's so a little bit of ego on both sides to go with that. And exactly. So it's um, a little creativity. They could generate some options that would work for everybody. But when they're 
emotions get in the way, you know, you just have to pick a winner and a loser, call the balls and strikes. Um, that's that's it. And, and I hope that everybody, you know, you seem like a very nice person and I hope everybody recognizes that you all you're trying to do is to make it equitable and even for everybody. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for saying that, Kevin. You know, cause it, well, some people are just, you know, well, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> but you know exactly what I'm saying. I, I do. I mean, litigation is, um, it's, it's usually the worst option for everybody, but sometimes, sometimes it's the only, like I said, it's just emotion gets in the way of a better, of a better process. In, in, indeed. And if, if we could get everybody to get along, wouldn't that, wouldn't we live in a nice world if we could get that done? It would be amazing if we could just um, try to walk in each other's shoes. You know, one of the, um, one of the reasons I love historical fiction, um, both writing it and reading it is I, um, I don't think there's any better way to learn empathy uh, than to really imagine yourself deeply inside, um, not just walking in the shoes, but inside the mind of someone who's different from you, who comes from a different place, who has, you know, different goals, different background, different history, you know, different, uh, different prejudices, um, different fears, and to just try to walk in their shoes and try to see the situation from their point of view. And it's amazing how often at the end of that kind of exercise, you say to yourself, if I'd been walking in that person's shoes, I would have done exactly what they did. And, and it, it sort of helps you um, recognize that maybe common ground isn't unachievable. You know, we just have to recognize that um, we may be right, but the other side may also be right. Um, yes, and yes, yes, indeed. It's just a matter, you know, and it was interesting because you, you'd appreciate this, Julia. By the way, we're talking with Julia Sullivan. She's written the book. I'm sorry, the name of the book again, I should have written it down. Bone Necklace. Bone necklace. Look for it, and it's going to come out in early June. I'm going to get it because it's. I, I love historical fiction anyway, but uh, the Chief Joseph and Nez Pierce Indians they, they did one of the in the tw even in the 20th century they, that is regarded as one of the best military campaigns ever fought on this continent. And so it's, it's it really is cool, and you should and you should get it. But but and and but you know, last hour just as just to highlight what you just said, I interviewed a gal by the name of Velvet Steel. She's a transsexual, and and she started off with some as somebody else, and uh, and it's interesting to learn her experiences of what life, how life presents itself for somebody who is in in that world. Sure. You know, being being a lawyer or being a talk show host or something else, it really is interesting. The wide variety of experiences we all get to have if we choose to. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. So often, someone will say, "I don't understand that. I don't understand why somebody would do that." And and my reaction is, um, 
will either try to understand it or um, maybe you shouldn't express opinions about it. <laughs> well, I mean, figure it out. If you don't understand it, then then um, try. Just try. Right. It, you know, you don't, you, you're not going to get it right. We're not going to get it right. Empathy doesn't work that way. People are too complicated. You're not going to get it right every time, but, um, but you can try, you can get part way there. And, um, I think we owe it to each other to try. Yeah. We even, we even talked a little bit about that because, um, she's, she's had, she's been through the entire thing and she's done the surgeries and all that stuff. And I said, you know, there's a segment of our population whose uh, penis is their best friend, and they can't imagine living life without it. And uh, you did that, and, and so there's going to be a, a segment of people that she's not going to be able to affect in a positive way because they'll go, "Oh man, I could never do that. How could somebody do? You know what I mean?" So yeah, and that's okay. So don't do it. Yeah, <laughs> it, it doesn't affect you a bit. It did, you know, I could I could talk to her, and she was a lovely lady. Yeah. And uh, it was it was really a lot of fun, just like you are a lovely lady, and I really have enjoyed our, our time together. When uh, the book comes out, which comes out in June, early June, mm -hmm. uh, when it comes out, uh, we need to uh, uh, touch bases with you, like in July or August, and see how it's doing. I love that. And, I love and then that. Uh, re reintroduce it to the audience uh, that we will have it at that time because the audience that we have is going to be growing. We're going to do this five days a week. Um, two hours a day at least. Today's three and a half hours, um, and I just enjoy I just enjoy talking to you. It, it, this is this has been fun. I really have enjoyed having you here. So, before we go, if there's anything that you would like to tell our audience, uh, anything at all about anything, and just get on your soapbox and and you, the floor is yours. Well, um, I hope you'll visit my website www.juliasullivanauthor.com. There's a lot of information about the book, about the history. There's some historic photographs um, and where to buy the book. So um, I hope people enjoy it. And I think that they will. If uh, I, and I know that they will. So, so again, um, um, Julia Sullivan has been our guest. And the website again. Let's put that out there one more time. It's www.juliasullivanauthor.com. Perfect. And uh, and I look forward to talking to you again in, in the summer sometime. Thanks so much, and good luck with your show. Oh, thank you. I'm, I'm having a great time, If quite frankly. <laughs> I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to. Just because <laughs> I'm that way. Um, but if... if, if Quite frankly, if nobody listens right now, I know people are listening to the podcast. I know people listen to it later on. If nobody listens to it live, I don't care because I still get to talk to you. Well, I feel the same. So it's 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 just it's it's great fun for me, and I just enjoy it tremendously. So, and thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you. So if if you'll hang out right there for just a second, okay. I got to do this, and then I'll be right at the bank. Okay. Thanks for enjoying this episode all the way to the end. Please give us a like and subscribe to this channel. This has been a production of KMmedia.pro. Please visit our website, oddly enough, named KMmedia.pro for more details about us and our mission. 
which is to provide great, positive programming designed to inspire us all. I'm Kevin McDonald, and I'm proud of these shows, and I truly hope that you'll like them and share them with friends and family. So on behalf of our entire team, remember, be kind to each other, because each other's all we've got. We'll see you next time. And thank you so much. That was fun. Thank you, Kevin. It was. I enjoyed it. Now we're still live, so so I'll, I'll bid you adieu, and then 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 you can, uh, and then I've got another guest coming on in about ten minutes. But I'm going wow. to take a little bit of a break. So. <laughs> okay. So, hey, thank you, Julia. Thank you, Kevin.